So I'm reading tonight from 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, uh, and that's on page 1053 of the Church Bible. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife, and each woman have her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another sexually, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say the following as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were just like me, but each has his own gift from God, one person in this way and another in that way. I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am, but if they do not have self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with desire. I command the married, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to leave his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. Otherwise your children would be corrupt, but now they are set apart for God. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. For you, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Or you, husband... How do you know whether you will save your wife? However, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter, but keeping God's commands does. Each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? It should not be a concern to you. But if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called a freeman is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. About virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Therefore, I consider this to be good because of the present distress. It is fine for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin married, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. As I say this, brothers, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. 
those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is acting improperly toward his virgin, if she is past marriageable age, and so it must be, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning, they can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart to keep his own virgin, will do well. So then... He who marries his virgin does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Georgie. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, daylight saving wise is about 20 to 9. We're tired, so I thought I'd speak on sex, marriage, divorce, remarriage, and singleness. How does that sound? Um, now, if you're here tonight, we are in 1 Corinthians 7. We're just working through the book of 1 Corinthians. We don't talk about this every week. This is a chapter we are up to. We're going to deal with this chapter over two weeks. Uh, and this week, I will talk primarily about marriage, and next week, prim- primarily about singleness but a bit of each other in the next couple of weeks. Um, I also want to say that I, I, I'm sure that this sermon will probably raise more questions than it gives you answers. And questions like, I mean, does marriage matter? How is marriage different from cohabitation? Uh, what about same-sex marriages? What about divorce? What about remarriage? Uh, I cannot answer all your questions in about a half-hour sermon, uh, but I'd love you to write down any questions that you've got. Um, if you don't know me, I'm no expert on marriage. I've only been married for six years this month. Uh, I was married until I was 40. I'm 46 this week. Um, I'm no expert on marriage. I'm no expert on singleness. Um, but I have married about 300 couples, and I've done marriage prep for about 300 couples. Um, also, my, my, my sister has been divorced twice, uh, both due to domestic violence, so I have some insight into the pain of divorce and remarriage as well. Um, everyone here is different. Uh, you're different as a single person from the other single person. You're different as a married person from the other married person. So please hear what I say and apply it to you personally. Um, and I just want to say that, that these sermons... I imagine might be difficult to hear for some people. 
Uh, I'm very aware there are people here who are unmarried, who long to be married, and these might be hard sermons to hear. There are people here who uh, may be in a, a difficult marriage, you know, a loveless marriage, an abusive marriage, and these might be difficult to hear. And there may be people here tonight who have been through a messy, a heartbreaking divorce, and it might be hard to hear these these sermons, because the reality is that all of us here are are broken people, aren't we? Let's be honest. We're all broken people with relational pain of some sort. And I want to start by saying tonight that please remember that God is a God of grace. And God is a God of forgiveness. And God is a God of mercy and compassion. And I start with that because too often the church have been quick to condemn. They're quick to condemn the divorced. Quick to condemn the person who is married to the unbeliever. And quick to condemn the same sex attracted person. And quick to condemn the single person. Uh, And that is wrong. Church should not be a place of condemnation. It should be a place of love and forgiveness and grace. And so please forgive me if my tone tonight is in any way inappropriate. That's not my intention. It is a difficult, sensitive topic. Uh, When I was thinking about our world, I, I think our world is confused about relationships. Uh, we are confused about marriage, we're confused about sex, we're confused about singleness, we're confused about faithfulness, we're confused about kids. Uh, we, I think we're confused about marriage. So you know the stats that uh, approximately 70%, 70% of 25 to 35-year-olds will live together in a sexual relationship before marriage today. What I find most interesting is that with the over-60s, with the over-60s, 50% of the over-60s would encourage younger people to live together before marriage. That's a massive shift, isn't it? And the shift has happened because for most people, they see marriages as always being unhappy. Because the divorce stats are high. In America, someone gets married every 13 seconds. And someone gets divorced every 26 seconds. The divorce stats are very, very high. So we're confused about marriage. Uh, You know that in in church, marriage is at an all-time low. Just one in four weddings now happen within a church building. And I think that marriage has shifted in society from being less about us and more about me, and less about how we as a couple can impact our world and other people, and more about what I can get out of it. We've become very selfish in our marriages. So we're confused about marriage. We're confused about sex. So sex today is purely recreational. So sex is no longer about satisfying my spouse. Uh, Sex is no longer about creating this safe, beautiful place where you can be vulnerable and it's all about me my wants my needs my rights so I choose who I sleep with and when I sleep with them when I stop sleeping with them 
in our, our world today, sex has always become a saviour. So if, if you're not sexually active, you're made to feel sort of half a person, aren't you? And what I find shocking is that sex in our world and in our churches is, is portrayed as always being easy and always being pleasurable. That's not the case. Many sexual relationships are not easy. And of course, sex starts younger and younger and younger. So my eldest son is 11. Uh, and, you know, the whole safe school things, they've been taught about all kinds of stuff from the age of 9, 10, 11 at school. But we're confused about faithfulness within marriage, so adultery is no longer shocking. In a recent survey, over half of... Listen to this, over half of married men admitted to having an affair. That's extraordinary. There's an advertisement for a washing machine. Listen to this. This is for a washing machine. People change their marriage partner faster than they change our brand of washing machine. That is shocking. We're confused about singleness because... Whilst our society celebrates singleness and over 40% of our society now live as single people and they celebrate that, for some bizarre reason in the church, if you are a single person, you're made to feel awkward and, and subhuman or something is missing. That is wrong. And I have to say up front, we are confused about who should be allowed to be married. Now, historically... Marriage is about a man and a woman who are of marriageable age, who are not related to each other. That's historically. But today, everything is up for grabs, isn't it? Same sex, marrying of minors, marrying of siblings. And, and now is not the time to debate those issues, but that's the, the world that we live in. And Sydney is just like Corinth. So if you just joined us, Corinth, where this letter is written, is a, a sexually promiscuous, messed up society, and that has infiltrated the church. And so if you remember chapter 5 of Corinthians, a man is sleeping with his stepmother, and no one bats an eyelid. Chapter 6 of Corinthians, you've got people sleeping with prostitutes, and no one bats an eyelid. And Paul said, flee from sexual immorality. But the problem is that Christians can sometimes hear that phrase, flee from sexual immorality, and think, well, sex is dirty, sex is always wrong, so everyone should be celibate. And that's the issue that Paul's addressing here in chapter 7. Do you see it in verse 1? He's quoting what the Corinthians wrote to him about. He says, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. That's what the Corinthians are saying. And Paul says, no, that is wrong. Sex is not bad. Sex is great. It's a great gift from God to be used within marriage. And this chapter is so comprehensive. It talks about the married person and sex. It talks about widows and widowers. It talks about believers and unbelievers, the divorced, the engaged couple. He covers everybody. But tonight I want to focus primarily on, on, on marriage and next week on the, on the singles. I want to look at defining marriage. We've got to define what marriage is. I hope you know that marriage is defined by God, not by governments. 
God defies marriage, not society. God defies marriage, not our culture. We've got to believe that, that the, the biblical definition of marriage is good. Society may mock it and society may laugh at it, but God created marriage and we've got to believe this is the right definition. So what is marriage? Uh, Whenever Jesus spoke about marriage, whenever the Apostle Paul spoke about marriage, he went to Genesis chapter 2. Remember remember Genesis chapter 2? God creates man, but there's no helper for man, so God creates woman. And man says, wow, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that's why in this chapter, Paul talks about husbands, he talks about wives. And I'm here tonight to say the Bible says that that marriage is about a man and a woman. And as soon as I say that, I know I'm labeled as as a bigot or against equality. I am neither of those things. I am not denying the right of two people who love each other to live in a committed relationship with all the legal rights of marriage. I'm not denying that to anybody. But let's call it something else. Let's find a new term a new name, a new institution that is for heterosexual and homosexual, but I want to defend and fight for the biblical definition of marriage. So it's heterosexual, it's joined by God. Remember in, 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 the, in, the, in the marriage ceremony where the, uh, the husband and wife have declared and made their promises, and, and the minister says, uh, those whom God has joined together... Let no man separate. It's a direct quote from Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 9. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Because according to the Bible, there's a a divine bond that's happening. Uh, Not just a human bond, a divine bond. God is witnessing it. God is sealing it. It doesn't matter whether you are married in, in, in church or on a beach by a, a celebrant or by a clergyman. If you want to be married, there's a, a covenant happening. Not a contract, a covenant. Do you, do you get the difference between a covenant and a contract? A, a contract is between two individuals. And at any point in time, one of those individuals can break that contract. A covenant is sealed by God. With two individuals. A covenant is a sacred thing. And according to the Bible, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. So it's heterosexual. It is a a covenant joined by God. It's a public thing. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 talks about how the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And there's a very public ceremony happening. So the wedding at Cana is a public wedding. You ever wondered why you need to have a public ceremony? The reasons are, it's a very protective thing. It's protecting any individual from being coerced into, into a marriage. No one should be. It's despicable for anyone to be, to be forced into a marriage. And so the public element is saying, this person is able to get married and wants to get married. It's also protecting against polygamy. And the, the other thing is that marriage must be faithful. 
It's about one man and, and one woman. Marriage is not about love. It is about love, but it's more than about love. It's about a faithful, monogamous relationship. You see that in verse 2? He says, because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife. And each woman should have her own husband. Not somebody else's wife, not many wives, not many husbands, but one wife and one husband, and you should be faithful to that person. And that's throughout the whole Bible, you know. Do not commit adultery, Exodus 20. Hebrews 13, keep the marriage bed uh, bed pure. You ever heard people talk about open marriages? There is no such thing as an open marriage. That's a contradiction in terms. By the word marriage, we mean faithful. Extra marital sex, it promises so much, but it's full of emptiness, disappointment, disillusionment, destruction, and disaster. So don't go there. A marriage should be permanent. Look down to verse 39. Paul says, a wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. Uh, Paul is saying there that this covenant between a man and his wife and God is, is, is broken by death. Death breaks that covenant. It's what you say in the marriage vows, you know, to death us do part. And ideally, hear that word, word rightly, ideally... Marriages should only be dissolved by death. Now, of course, I'm totally aware that divorce happens. We'll come on to that in a minute. And I know that marriages can be very difficult, very, very difficult, but they should be lifelong. So that's the definition of marriage. Man and woman joined by God, public, sexual, faithful, monogamous, and lifelong. And I want to ask you tonight, do you believe that? Do you believe that the biblical definition of marriage is good and it is right you've got to believe that in the culture that we live in we cannot sit here and try and defend marriage if you don't believe it so, so the, the definition of marriage number two desire in marriage I want to talk about sexual intimacy in marriage because that's what 1 Corinthians 7 does and Paul begins here by saying sex is not wrong sex is not dirty sex is not evil as Augustine once said Sex is an essential part of marriage. As you read the Bible, it's full of of sex for pleasure and for procreation and for intimacy within marriage. Sex is that most important, intimate expression of your one flesh union, a place where you can be totally vulnerable, and it's a beautiful gift from God. Uh, Sex should never be about a bribe. It's never a reward for good behavior. It's that... It's that right expression of your one fleshness. So Paul says in verse 2, each man should have his own wife. And each woman should have her own husband. The word have there is actually a, a sexual word. Have in a sexual way. He's saying if you're married, it's really important to have sex. And Paul gives you three reasons. Uh, verse 3, it's a, a mutual responsibility. He says a husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife. You should have sex with your wife. And likewise, a wife to her husband. She should have sex with her husband. See, see the mutual aspect of that? No one should withhold it 
or bargain over it. It's, it's that responsibility to, to love each other well in marriage. I have to say, when a husband demands sex from his wife without loving her well, that is wrong. But equally, a wife to withhold sex from her husband, that is also wrong. I also need to say that if you are in a sexually abusive marriage, please, please, please talk to somebody. Please talk to me or somebody. But you know that in, in, in the marriage ceremony where it says, with all that I am and all that I have and with my body I honor you, it's saying that sex is a beautiful gift for marriage. So Paul says in verse 5, don't deprive each other. See that verse 5? Don't defraud each other is the exact phrase. Don't rob each other of what is rightfully yours. It says health permitting, health permitting. The only reason the Bible gives to abstain from sex is there in verse 5. It is to pray together. If you agree, verse 5, and just for a short time to pray together, you can stop having sex, but then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you. And what he's saying there is that uh, the way to avoid sexual temptation within marriage is to have sex regularly. He says, verse 2, because of sexual immorality, it's so common, we live in a sex-charged world. So make sure you're having sex regularly in your married life. In the marriage counseling I do, if you've got a couple there who are having marriage problems, it's important that I as a pastor ask them, you know, how is your sex life? And time and time again, they'll say, oh, we, we stopped having sex years ago. If you are married here tonight, can I encourage you to make time, to make time for sexual intimacy in your marriage? I'm going to invite Sarah to come forward and share a few things from a female perspective. I just want to say from the outset, I'm out of my comfort zone and I'm no expert, but this year my husband Keith and I will celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary and something that Keith and I do together is run marriage enrichment courses and we spend quite a bit of time talking with couples about their relationship and often the topic of sex comes up. So here I go. I'm talking to wives. I want to encourage you to take God's word seriously, to believe that what it says is always what's best for us. If you're committed to your marriage, commit the time to make love with your husband. Schedule it. Initiate it. If you do that, he will love it. Your marriage is intended to be fully sexual. Research has said that most women would think about sex once a week, if that, which is very different to men. There's a huge range in women's interest in sex. And at least 50% of Australian women experience very low sex desire. So that's half of you married women in this room. You will have absolutely no trouble thinking of a good reason why making love is not a good idea. You're tired, you're busy, 
you're stressed, you feel angry, all you can think about is sleep, you just want to get to sleep, and tomorrow you've got so many things to do that you just want to go to sleep. But um, if it's you who is calling the shots in the bedroom, can I encourage you to take what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 seriously? And sex is not about me. It's not just about him. It's about us. So can I encourage you to do your part in turning your sexual relationship into one that reflects the us-ness that's captured so beautifully in Song of Songs. If you haven't read Song of Songs lately, read it this week. It's a beautiful book. Um, When couples make love, oxytocin, the bonding hormone, is released, and both couples have that, but men will only have a huge surge of this hormone after an orgasm, and this is when he will actually act more in love with you And this is when husbands feel closest to their wives. And this is how we as wives can communicate powerfully that we love them. Now, there are some things that I don't think are helpful. If you use sex as a bargaining chip, like you put the garbage out, it'll be a good time tonight. Can I encourage you not to do that? If you take, and I'm saying this to both men and women, if you take your phones or iPads to bed, I'd banish them at the door. Um, Don't let them become the adulterous lover in your bedroom. And uh, if you're looking at or reading porn, and the stats tell us that 25% of married women are, don't. It actually changes neural pathways in your brain. If you're reading soft porn such as Fifty Shades of Grey to help you get aroused and interested, don't. That's not how God has wired us. So can I encourage you not to engage in it? Excellent. So we, we define what marriage is. We looked at desire within marriage. I want to look at, lastly tonight, uh, being dedicated to marriages. Um, as a single person, for many years, I kind of lived with this mindset of, you know, when I get married, life will be easier. Uh, look at verse 20, 28, 29. It says exactly the exact opposite. We've got to believe verse 28. He says, if you get married, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people, that is the married people, will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. And what what Paul is saying is that life is full of heartaches. Life is full of troubles. We all have troubles. But the temptation to think is a a, a marriage partner will be there to help share those troubles with us. And life will be easier. And the Bible says it's the exact opposite. You know, if you are married, you have the pain of seeing a spouse who is sick or suffering if you are married you have anxiety from family pressure or unresolved conflict because it's the most beautiful relationship but also one of the most difficult relationships so please don't idolize marriage there are lots of very lonely people in marriage lots of very stressed and anxious people in marriage 
And if we're believers, then we have this added tension that you, you want to love your spouse well, but you also want to serve the Lord well. And that's where verses 32 to 35 come in. He said, I want you to be without concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. His interests are divided. Same for the wife. If you're unmarried, so the woman, if you're unmarried, you can be dedicated to the Lord. But if you're married, your concerns about the things of your husband. And what Paul is saying here is that if, if you're married, then you are rightly concerned to love your wife well or to love your kids well and thinking, how can I serve the Lord? And I look back to my days when I was not married and, you know, I was... Five days a week I would meet with people to read the Bible early morning or early evening or late at night and I could just serve the Lord single-mindedly and wholeheartedly. But when I got married, it was right, it was proper that that changed. And so I'm just here to say, if you are unmarried here tonight, please don't think that getting married will solve all your problems. It's a good gift, it's a beautiful gift. But if you are married, work hard at your marriage. Please work hard at your marriage. Because no matter how difficult life is or how many troubles your marriage brings, we, we should be dedicated to our marriages. Again, let me, let me just preface it. I'm totally aware there are people here, as soon as I say that, might feel guilty because of a past broken marriage or a past divorce. Please, please, please hear forgiveness and grace. But if you are married here tonight, can you work hard at your marriages? Uh, verse 10 and 11 is quite a confronting verse, isn't it? I, I, he says, I command the married, not I, but the Lord, that is, Jesus talked about this. A wife is not to leave her husband. But she does leave. She must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and her husband is not to leave his wife. That is not all the Bible says on marriage and divorce. Please don't just take those verses, the only verses in Scripture you know. You've got Mark chapter 10, you've got Matthew chapter 5, you've got Luke chapter 16, there is Matthew chapter 19. Now, there are grounds for divorce. You know, According to other parts of the Bible, if there's been adultery involved, then divorce is permissible. So he's not saying that all divorce is always wrong. And he's not saying that if you have been divorced, you can never remarry. Let me be very clear on that. That's not his point here. The point he's making here is that if you are married, then don't treat divorce as the easy way out. If you are married and you've got a difficult marriage, don't just walk out of your marriage. Work hard at it. If you're married to the unbeliever, verses 12 to 15, he says, if your unbelieving spouse is willing to live with you, then don't leave them. Stick in the marriage. Do everything you can to stay married. I love verse 14. Look at it. He says, if the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband, otherwise your children will become corrupt but now they are set apart for God. He's saying in a marital home where you've got one person who's a believer and one person who's an unbeliever, then an unbeliever comes under that sphere of some way, that sphere of God's grace in some way. So your kids come under that sphere as well. 
So don't just walk out of the, of the marital home. I hope I've been clear and I hope I've been gentle tonight. He's not saying that divorce is always wrong or remarriage is never possible. What the Bible says though is that if you are married, there will be tough times, there will be very tough times. But divorce should not be the easy option. Now, if you've fallen out of love or you've drifted apart or you're no longer compatible, now, work hard. Work hard at trying to be reconciled and work hard at your marriage. Do you want to add something to that, Sarah? Those of you who are married to husbands who are not believers, I think that must be really hard. But can I encourage you to love them, cherish them, but don't do that with your words. Love them with your behaviour. Let them see your purity and reverence, your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Ask the Lord to help you be that woman. Ask your Christian sisters, ask me to pray for you, to pray for your husband, to pray for your marriage. And I've just got one final thing to say to all wives. Wives, love your husbands. Remember the promises that you made to each other. Let us be committed to being women who make sex beautiful in marriage. If you're a wife, may you be able to look in your husband's eyes and feel safe and secure and delight in making love to him. If you have children, the best gift you, you can give them is a strong and loving marriage. Strong marriages, strong families, and God will use your family for his good purposes here at church and in your local community. Thanks, Sarah. Quick word for the husbands. Husbands are called to love your wives selflessly, sacrificially, to put their needs above your needs, to care for them better than you care for yourself. I've talked a lot tonight about marriage. I think marriage is such a key issue in our society today, and we in churches need to cherish marriage, be committed to a biblical definition of marriage to be committed to sex within marriage and to be committed to making marriages work so will you pray for our marriage will you work hard if you are married and if you're here tonight and you've suffered a, a marriage breakdown or messy divorce and you're still feeling guilty or feeling the pain of that please 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 come and talk to somebody remember god's a god of forgiveness and grace and kindness and compassion Slapray. Father God, thank you for the gift of marriage. We thank you, Lord, that you made us male and female. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given some people that precious gift and some, given some people the gift of being unmarried. For those of us, Lord, who are married, help us to work hard at our marriages. Forgive us for times when we uh, don't uh, think about the other person and are, are just very selfish. And we pray, Lord, that uh, your church would shine like a light in our world that would be different in the way that we cherish our marriages and we cherish singleness and we cherish sex and we cherish faithfulness. So please make us that kind of church. In Jesus' name.
Amen.